Welcome, and I'm so glad you're with us today. If you have your copy of God's Word, please turn to Philippians chapter 2. We're going to be talking about the subject of shining as lights in the world. Shining as lights in the world from Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 12 through verse 16. If you'll join me there, it says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to, do, both to will and to do His good pleasure. Do all things without complaining and disputing, that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world." holding fast to the word of life, so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. And of course, he's speaking among you. We see that uh, today we are living in the very times that Paul seems to be describing here. And there is a grave concern to any thoughtful Christian is uh, how quickly our society is falling apart and clearly it, it seems to be growing worse. As some theologians would describe it, we now live in a post-Christian culture. Uh, that certainly has some merit to it. Uh, this simply means that the old norms that once held true are no longer the norms of today. They're not accepted by the majority. And for example, people once believed in God and that the Bible was the Word of God and the, that the Word of God was the authority for the church. Jesus was the Son of God, but such is no longer the case for the majority of people. The majority no longer accepts the certain basic principles that, uh, of, of morality that is taught both in the Old and New Testament, even ridiculing people as being old-fashioned or unenlightened or uneducated. And so that we live in a post-Christian culture is quite possibly true, both socially and religiously. If you look at it from a standpoint of socially, in that the divorce, remarriage, living together without marriage, homosexuality are now common and accepted uh, no longer as alternative lifestyles, but lifestyles in and of themselves. Uh, religiously, in that uh, you have you see the change of the qualifications of people in the role of leadership in the church. Uh, you you now see the advent of uh, of uh, division amongst what the between what the Bible says is a minister who should be a minister. What are the qualifications of a minister? What is the lifestyle of the minister? Uh, you, you see uh, even New Age religion now coming into the church. And so we are living in quite possibly what could be at least considered a post-Christian culture. Well, how are Christians to react to the change in our society? I have never been one uh, to preach that we should curse the darkness. Um, I believe that we are to shine the light and uh, what can we do to change the direction that society is, is heading? It, it, it doesn't seem, in my opinion, that uh, there's much hope for the, the way that we have done things for the 240 plus years this nation's been around. But it seems like the days were greater in this nation when the people honored the Lord with their lives and with their labor, with their talents, their gifts. Um, their obedience, their fidelity to the church, and uh, they found their identity as being people in Christ. Uh, and of course, that's only for those whom God has caused to believe. And uh, so, you know, men and women in Christ, uh, now, now you hear that different labels, a believer or a Christian or things like that, when those really the, the term, that, for example, that the Apostle Paul used of himself was, was a man in Christ. Uh, Peter talks about those whom God has called to believe. Uh, 
one of the great leaders of that century examining Paul at a trial says, you almost persuade me to be a Christian. And he was using it in every sense, but a positive sense. And, uh, and so what are we to do? How, how are we to respond? What can we do to change the direction that our society is heading? Should we form a political action committee, for example? This has been tried and tried to change using you know, organizational power, and uh, should, should we resort to boycotts or to picketing uh, or other forms of economic uh, censure, as some would even say economic blackmail? Uh, should we resort to violence, both verbal and physical, if, if necessary? Should we uh, rush the ramparts, so to speak, uh, in the name of our beliefs? Uh, what, what can we do to protect ourselves and our children? And should we simply change our views and conform those to society? As I shared a couple of weeks ago, should we, uh, should we uh, just surrender to the Assyrians or should we hope in Egypt uh, instead of just, uh, as the scripture says, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but you know, we are gonna trust in the Lord. Uh, that, that means something. Should we just isolate ourselves and, and form our own communes even? You know, that's, a, that's an option, I guess, for some. But I want you to know something. Uh, I ask those questions because I would imagine like you, you're asking, like myself, you're asking yourselves these questions too, especially in the times we're living uh, well, just just uh, the other day, we had a message from Isaiah 33 on that the Lord is the stability of your times. He is the stability of your times. And that has provoked many questions. And so these are some of the questions that I would imagine that uh, perhaps you're, you have asked that, that uh, I have posed to you these moments. They are certainly questions that that uh, I have been asked, and, and to be honest with you, I have, I have thought out as well. But I want you to know also, like, uh, like is characteristic of this ministry of transformative truths, we've always looked for the answer in Scripture. And you know this Scripture has the answer. It provides not only an answer, it provides the correct answer in a letter written by Paul to a church much like many others in the New Testament that lived in what was a pre-Christian culture. It was a pre-Christian culture. A time that this letter was written, of course we're talking about the epistle to the Philippian church. Uh, it was written to Christians that were living in, in a city heavily influenced by the Roman culture uh, with paganism, with intellectualism and immorality and licentiousness of great libation, of, of uh, pedophilia, all kinds of, of terrible things. And what Paul wrote to them is very, very likely the very thing that he might even write us today, and we know uh, since the Scripture is God-breathed, it is absolutely part of um, God's testament to us here in, the, in, in 2021. And so uh, especially, particularly this passage here mentioned in Philippians 2, 12 through 16. And so the lesson is, the, is, is to speak about guidance for Christian living in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. That, that would be the major objective today is to show you how the scripture gives guidance, how to live in a crooked and perverse generation, whether then as Paul was writing them or now as uh, all of God's word is inspired and is good for reproof and correction. And, and as we see today, it applies to us. And so it provides direction, hope, and warning, which I trust, as is implied here, help us shine as lights in the world. The title of the message, Shining as Lights in the World. And so with this lesson, we're simply going to touch upon the things that we can glean from the passage not try to overdo it and, and, exceed, and, and hopefully we're going to develop this port, point 
more thoroughly over the weeks to come. Uh, for example, if we're going to shine the lights in the midst of, of, of a crooked and per perverse generation, we must do uh, what this text seems to show is six things. Six things. So the first one is number one, by working out our own salvation first. By working out our own salvation first. Notice in verse 12, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. I want you to notice it does not say work out your neighbor's salvation. It does not say work out your, politi your politician's salvation. Uh, it says to work out your own salvation. And, uh, and so, of course, as Jesus put it uh, in Matthew chapter 7, in fact, let's just turn there. Turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7. I want you to see, I think, where we have a congruency between this work out your own salvation written by Paul and the teaching of Jesus in Matthew 7 that I think will resonate very clearly. In, in, in Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse 1, the, Jesus Christ says, Judge not that you be not judged, for with that judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye, and look, a plank is in your own eye? Hypocrites, first remove the plank from your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give what is holy to the dogs, nor cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their, their feet, and turn and tear you to pieces. So the passage is often misused to prevent the proper judging or emphasizing the importance of getting your own act together. You need to get your own act together. Mama used to say that, get your act together. Uh, notice that once you have removed the plank, you could and should be used to remove the speck in another person's eye or help them with their blind spot. And if we're not careful, we may lose our salvation in the way we react to others. Now let me, let me clarify what I mean by that. If you are called to believe, if, if God has called you to believe, you are in Christ, you can never not be in Christ. But you can sure feel like it because of, of habitual high-handed sin against God. And, and I want to help you understand something, and I'm, I believe it's going to be necessary to teach on this very quickly. We tend to ask this question, can, a, can you be a Christian and do this? Can a Christian do this? How can a person be a Christian that does this or that? Can a person really be saved if they act this way? I have, of any question I have been asked in 20 years of, of pastoral ministry, it has something to do with a Christian and an if and something to do with doing. Ladies and gentlemen, what we need to remember is what a Christian must do. What a Christian must do is what this text says and that we must obey. We need to obey God and leave the consequences to Him. And so, but you can lose the sense of the common grace, the sense of the grace that's in your life. You can, you can lose the sense of mercy that you have. You can feel distant from your relationship with God. Um, you can become cold. You can become bitter. You can literally be as the prodigal son who loses his, his, his senses. But uh, the Bible tells us very cl clearly and uh, I believe it's in John chapter 6 that, that uh, the Father has not lost one. But you may feel like you have. You may lose that sense of assurance. And assurance is based upon the security of the believer. You may not feel real secure if you are living your life in a way that is inconsistent with working out your salvation with fear and trembling. That's what the Bible says to do. So that's, so that's what the Bible says. So, so then here would be a, a proper way to ask it. Can a, Christian, can a person be a Christian who does not work out 
his, his salvation with fear and trembling? And the answer is he cannot be an obedient one. And I think that's the, where the rubber hits the road and the water hits the wheel. We need to be known as an obedient Christian. And we need to be known as an obedient Christian, not to our neighbor, but to as our Lord, to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so many people are going about society to, for the idea of, of, uh, of, of uh, to change society for the better using the measure that will keep them out of the kingdom of God. And, uh, uh, and that is, uh, you know, it's just, uh, has absolutely nothing to do with, with, uh, God's kingdom and rioting as we, we have just seen, uh, this, this idea of just total giving over of anger, uh, saying everything that you think, uh, not using wisdom, not using understanding. Many people just go about trying to change society for the better, avoiding what, uh, the Christian principles are doing that, and Christians are exhorted on how they can change the kingdom. And I just, at, or change the society, we just finished a months and months long study on the fruit of the Spirit, which is found in Galatians chapter 5, and I want you to read it. I almost could do it from memory. Matthew, or I'm sorry, Galatians chapter 5, listen to this, beginning in verse 19. We have a whole series of this on our podcast, Transformative Truths. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousy, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murder, drunkenness, revelries, and the like of which I tell you beforehand as I tell you in times past that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom. That, those are not the behaviors of a believer. And the Bible says that those who do such things, they shall not inherit the kingdom. Um, and so, what are believers to do? I mean, well, we're to demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against these things there is no law. And so, you know, we're, 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 we're struggling right now during this time of society with people really, that, do they even know what a what a follower of Jesus looks like, and uh, based upon your political persuasion, and uh, you know what you you say behind people's backs, or at the coffee shop, or or different things, or your actions uh, when the sun goes down, or when no one's around. And the reality of it is, the text tells us the first thing to do is we're going to shine our lights in a time in a perverse and corrupt generation, if we're going to shine as lights in the world, the first thing we need to do is work out our own salvation. And one thing that means is quit acting like lost people. Quit acting like lost people. Uh, that's pretty much the idea. Quit running around trying to remove the speck from everybody's eye when you've got a plank in your own. If you're not living by the fruit of the Spirit, then you're living by the fruit of the flesh. It's not both and. And it, by the way, the fruit of the Spirit is a collective noun. It is one thing. All of those things equal one thing. If you're not practicing all of them, you're not practicing it at all. Whereas the works of the flesh are evident, and those are singular things. If those are in your life, you're not practicing the fruit of the Spirit. And this text says right here, My beloved, as you have always obeyed, not in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Quit trying to decide if someone else is a Christian. You make sure no one could ever question that you are. How about them apples? How about you uh, get your act straight? as mama would tell me, it's such a thing. And if we're not careful, let me tell you something, we're going to continue this idea of trying to seek change in our society the wrong way that does not honor God. God saw, that, or Paul saw the need to be very careful when trying to go out and save other people. Let me show you in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27. 1 Corinthians 9 verse 27 says, But I discipline my body and I bring it into subjugation, lest when I have preached to others I myself can become disqualified. Now I'm not talking about doing push-ups and losing weight. You know what my biggest problem is, is my mouth. Uh, I say things or I look a certain way and that can cause a great problem with what I preach. I, I would hope I'm, I, I will one day be considered 
the same at home as I am on the camera or in the pulpit, but I struggle. And so, as Paul says here in 1 Corinthians, he says, I, I put myself under subjugation. I think you need to write that verse down. It would help you as it helps me. He says, again, but I discipline my body to bring it into subjugation. A person who has brought their body into subjugation doesn't have to discipline it. These were things that Paul struggled struggled with as well. Paul was a fallen man. Just as I am a fallen man, you're a fallen woman or a fallen uh, man as well. But praise be to God, as the Scripture says, that you know we don't do the things we want to do and we do the things we shouldn't do. What hope is there for such a wretch as I am? But praise be to God for the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we need to work out our own salvation first. We need to work out our own salvation first. How tragic would it be if when we go around preaching to others, we do, we do it in such a way that disqualifies ourselves? That, that would be a terrible, 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 terrible thing. And we can be more careful and shine as lights in the world if we not only work out our salvation, but also if we do it with fear and trembling. Notice what the text says right here in verse 12. It says, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. The word fear in connection with God is not popular today. I have, I, listen to me. Just listen to what I have to say. I can't make you understand it. I can explain it to you, but I can't make you understand it. I can't even explain it in such a wonderful way that you understand it. You have to choose to understand what this term fear means. Some believe, now listen to me. Listen to me. Listen to what the sense and how this word is being used. With fear and trembling, some have the reaction of hell, fire, and brimstone preaching of another generation. I used to be a hell, fire, and brimstone preacher. Every once in a while I can do it, but it, 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 that is preaching of another generation. But could it be that we have gone to the other extreme? And, and really, I ask that question only to say we already have. We've gone to the other extreme. We have diluted the concept of the fear of the Lord by our definition to the point that there is no place for trembling in our definition of fear. But the Bible says in James 2 verse 9 that the, de the devils believe there is one God and they fear and tremble. When was the last time the people of God feared and trembled before Him. And see, that's, the, that's where the rubber hits the road there. That's the rock of offense all of a sudden. We have watered down this concept of fear so much that we think, well, we shouldn't fear God at all because of Jesus Christ. I'm going to tell you something. It says that when we see Him, His eyes will be like flames of fire. And He will be pure as the whitest wool. And it says we will fall down at His feet. We're not going to fall down at His feet because we're excited. Uh, when I'm excited to see somebody, I run up and I hug them. When I go into my home and my dogs are excited to see, they run up and jump at But if I holler at them, they fall down in fear. That, that, this idea that there is no trembling is one of the greatest problems of the church today because the church gives no heed to the holiness of God. That, that, that there is no need for this. And so, so the point that there is no place for, for trembling is our definition of fear today. I mean, I've had to deal with this myself as a pastor over 20 years. That, that people just think, well, preacher, now that, that we don't need to hear that kind of stuff. We're just at the place where there's no trembling. There's just no room for trembling, for fear. And that's exactly, though, what this word means. So I guess you have to just tear this page of the Bible out. I guess that's the only recourse you have if you're not going to take it literally for what it says. Jesus certainly taught the, the fear of the Lord. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 28, Jesus Christ, the blessed Savior, the one who gave His life for the world, the one who loves us, who says, let all the children come to me, who says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. Precious Jesus with His long hair and His blue eyes and His sandaled feet. Oh, Jesus, it's so sweet that, that Jesus, Jesus, how I love Him. All that Jesus, listen to what He said in Matthew chapter 10, verse 28. He said, right here he says, and do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both the soul and the body in hell. Now that's Jesus. Now if you don't like this idea of trembling, tear that page out of your Bible too. 
I mean, that's the only recourse you have. The reality of it is, is that the word fear is in connection, in connection with God today is not popular, and we need to have a proper understanding of fear and trembling. Without it, it is unlikely we will seriously make the effort to work at our salvation. If you're not working at your salvation, it's probably because you have no concept of fear of the Lord. And that makes you lesser than the demons who are lost, and yet they fear the Lord. And so could the reason be there is so much apathy and fruitlessness in the church today? And that is the answer. It's not could it be. That is the answer. The church today seeks a political solution for the sinfulness of our nation. And we are called to be the lights in a corrupt and perverse generation. But how can we shine as lights in a corrupt and perverse generation when we act like the corrupt and perverse generation who has no fear of God? There may be another reason for such fruitlessness and that is if we don't shine as lights in the world by letting God work in us. Number three, by letting God work in us. Look at verse 13. He says, For it is God who works in you, both to will and to do His good pleasure. Amen. Amen. To succeed as lights in the world, it will be essential to let God do His work, something He is able to do beyond our ability or our comprehension. Look over here in Ephesians. There is a passage here I would be just thrilled for you to underline or highlight. Ephesians chapter 20, verse 21. I remember the very first time I was exposed to this passage when a lady came and sat in my office and in uh, two passages ago and shared this as a promise over me. It says right here in Ephesians 3 verse 20, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Do you recognize what that says? To him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or even think. It is amazing. See, if we're going to succeed, it's essential to let God do His work in us. He is there working in you. That's what Philippians chapter 1 verse 6 says. Look over there. It's a great promise. It's one of the three great promises of Philippians. In verse 6, it says right here, it says, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus. Until the day of Jesus. How? By both to will, that's helping us in our motivation as it says in verse 2. I'm sorry, in verse 13 of chapter 2. How will He do this? How will He work in us? That is to will by helping us in our motivation and then to do. Notice what He says. He says here to will and to do. Well, to will is to help us in our motivation. To do is to help us in our ability. So it's going to help us in our motivation and in our ability. If what? We work at our salvation with fear and trembling, letting God work in us. That's what we're learning. But if we're not careful, we can easily quench God's effort of work in us. We can prevent God from using us altogether, at least doing the things that are for, at least for doing things for our own good. And so later in another, in another part of this text, we're going to examine how God is at work in us and that uh, we can, what we can do to promote such activity on His part in us. And another important element of shining His lights in a crooked and perverse generation is that we go about our task, number four, number four, without murmuring and disputing. Without murmuring and disputing. Look at verse 14. Do all things without complaining and disputing. Do all things without complaining or disputing. Let me tell you something. I was thinking of this the other day. My mama was right about several things. And one of them was this. She'd say, son, if you can't say something nice, just don't say anything at all. I bet you that some of your mamas 
and daddies or your grandparents or your loved ones or your friends have said the same thing to you. That's a biblical precept. It says right here, do all, say all, all. Go ahead, say it. I can hear you. All, do all things, my beloved. Do all things without complaining and disputing. How do you do that? Well, first is by maintaining a positive attitude. If you didn't know, my former career was as a commercial pilot. I've been flying since I was of the age of 14. I'm still an av geek today. That's my hobby. I don't fly anymore, but I, every time something flies over, uh, I watch airplanes. Uh, I've dented more fenders in my own cars, uh, rear-ending people in a parking lot just looking up at the planes and the airplane up in the sky. My son last night was coming in on a on a plane and I was watching his airplane using my iPhone tracking it where he was and looking at it in the sky right where it was because that's just that's just the way I am. But I'm going to tell you something in an airplane the, the, the way the airplane flies is called the attitude. And if you're going to have a negative attitude it means to descend. You push the nose down it's called a negative attitude, and that's how you bring the plane out of cruise and you bring it down to the runway. And so you, if you want to go down, you have a negative attitude. The same thing happens when you're burning down that runway and you want to climb and get in the air and get where you're going. You have a positive attitude. A positive attitude takes you up. Isn't that interesting? Uh, your, your attitude is going to determine your altitude. You can write that down. Your attitude is going to determine your altitude. If you're a negative attitude, you're going to lose altitude. If you're a positive attitude, you're going to gain altitude. Attitude determines altitude. So you got to live in this midst of crooked and perverse generation with a positive attitude that easily gets us down where we can become constant complainers. But allowing that to happen is going to render us less effective. If all you do is consume the news, the mainstream media, all you do is, is consume the events that are going around you all the time, I'm going to tell you, you cannot avoid it. You are going to become a cynical and bitter person that is full of worry. Believe me, you cannot do it and not be that way. It's just like doing drugs. You're going to get addicted. You're just going to get addicted. And so, and, and as with Israel, Murmuring can lead to your own downfall. Back over here in 1 Corinthians, look what the Apostle Paul had to say about his own people. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 10 through 12. Nor complain, as some of them also complained and were destroyed as the destroy by the destroyer. Now all these things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our admonishment upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he falls." He's talking about how the complaining of the past, the rabble back in the past of the, of the exile, they were condemned. They perished. And it was meant to be, as Paul says in the New Testament, an example to us now in this age that we live in. Murmuring does not work for you. It's going to lead to your downfall. Um, there's, there's a counseling term we have uh, for such a thing. Uh, you know, when, when you need to end doing something, it's, a, it's, a, it's really easy. It's an easy, it's only two words. You, you might want to write it down right here where it says, uh, do all things without complaining, disputing. I'll, if you want to get a piece of paper and a pencil, I'll, I'll give you these two words. It's, it's not hard. Uh, here it is. Are you ready? Uh, stop it. S-T-O-P, new word, I-T. Just stop it. Do all things without complaining or murmuring. If you want to make a difference in your culture, quit complaining and murmuring. That's what the Bible says. If you want your light to shine in a perverse and corrupt generation, then quit murmuring and complaining. If, if you want to look like, maybe, maybe you're part of the perverse and corrupt generation. You're like, well, I'm a Christian. Well, you don't act like it if you're, if you're complaining and murmuring all the time. Not according to the biblical standard. Now, maybe that's not your standard. Well, you know what? That's not my problem. But I want you to know this. It's mine. It's mine. 
As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, and we cannot serve the Lord any other way than by obeying what this says. You obey God, you leave the consequences to Him. You just remember this, your attitude is going to determine your altitude. And, getting, and, and here's the other part. Not only is it by maintaining, maintaining a positive attitude, but by getting along with your brethren. Unity comes among the brethren by being convinced of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. Unity among the brethren is extremely important to Jesus as we try to convince the world concerning Jesus. But, you know, if you're running around out there saying things, you know, like, well, did that guy support the particular president? Uh, does that, why does that guy not like this person? Or why does that guy not? You're not promoting unity in the brethren. It, you're, you're acting like a corrupt and perverse generation. Um, you know, this, like I said, this text says to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. It doesn't say work out your brothers. It says work out your own. Look at the high priestly prayer of Jesus. I have a whole series on that called The Father's Heart. Uh, maybe we can put that on the podcast. Um, the reality, it's, it's definitely at yourjourneyonline.com backslash messages. And it's, it's somewhere in Facebook as well. But the reality of it is Jesus gives this high priestly prayer. He's done with His earthly ministry. He's taught the disciples all He's going to teach them. He's there praying this high priestly prayer. I love this because it shows the Father's heart. Listen to what Jesus says in John 17 verse 20. He says, I do not pray for those for these alone, but also for those who will believe in Me through their word. He's talking about believing those who, who uh, will believe in Him through the preaching of the apostles, that they may all be one as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they may be one in us, and that the world may believe that you sent me. If you're out there running down a Christian brother because you don't like his politics, dear friends, dear friends, the world is going to wonder, who do you follow? We have loyalty to one, and it is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And it is with Him that those of us that have been called to believe, those of us who are in Christ Jesus are going to spend our eternity in whatever suffering that we face on this earth. There is a surpassing glory that is coming for us. So how dare you say something about a brother that might disagree with you? How dare you? If I was into shaming people, I'd shame you. But I found something. Shaming doesn't do a bit of good, but neither does complaining or murmuring. Jesus Christ prays that we would be one as He and the Father are one, and that we may be perfect, He says in John 17, and complete. I guess I can still do a little hellfire and brimstone that they may be one in us and that the world may believe that you sent me. Do you, mean, do you realize when you're complaining about your preacher or when you're complaining about your brother or and you're, in, you're, in, you're saying that they ought to this or they ought to that or why don't they do this? You know, you can even complain about somebody by just asking questions that you ask someone else instead of the person you're, you're interested in as it says in Matthew 18. Let me tell you something. It says right here that, that you and I may be one and that the world may believe that you sent me. By our murmuring and our carping and our complaining, the world is going to wonder, are you really a follower of Jesus? And in fact, did Jesus really come? And look at the world we live in today. Look at all of the crime that is committed and the riotous behavior and the lasciviousness and the anger that the the sinful behavior of people, all in the name of Christ, for the voice of freedom. You have this whole rise of a new nationalism around the world in different countries, and some of them even do it in the name of Jesus. And that's wrong. We belong to a city that's over the hilltop. We belong to a celestial city whose God is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one that created us, for by Him and through Him and to Him are all things. It is in Him we have everything. I will not be judged by the Constitution of the United States, and I will not be eternally judged by the federal court system. 
But there are too many of you believers out there, I'm afraid to say, I'm not afraid to say, you have declared your declaration of independence from God's Word and God's authority in your life. You need to ask yourself, what is your identity? Are you under the authority of the Word of God or are you under your own authority? Are you too busy trying to get the speck out of other people's eyes when you're knocking everybody around with the plank that's sticking out of your own? And so he goes on to say, And the glory which you gave me I have given them that they may be just, that they may be just as we are one in them, you and me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. I have found one thing to be also very true, that those who spend their time complaining and murmuring really have to be reassured over and over again that God loves them. That God loves them. I have had to really seen over the course of my career that those who do not fear the Lord, do not fear the Lord with trembling. I'm not talking about laying in bed in a cold sweat. I'm talking about fear the Lord with reverence and awe where, where you fear Him enough to do what He says. You fear Him enough to do. I have found that those people I have to remind often that they're loved of God. I have to teach them grace before I show them the law. I have to show them the mercy and see grace is God's pardon. He lifted me out of my guilt. His mercy is where He lifts me out of misery. Some of you may be, may be wondering if you've lost your salvation. No, you're just living in misery and you need mercy. You need mercy and you're living in the consequences of your choices. You have chosen. You have made the choice not to work out your salvation. You have made the choice not to fear the Lord. You have, you have made the choice not to let God work His plan out in you. You have made the choice to continue your murmuring and your disputing. And thus you can't get along. You can't get along. You feel a mercy. Yeah, you may, be, you, you may indeed be saved by grace, but indeed you may not be. You are in, but you do not feel the mercy because you're suffering. You're in misery. And friend, you're in misery because no one chose that for you but yourself. That's why he says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works to, in you to do both the will, that's the motivation, and to do that's the ability, His good pleasure. Do all things without complaining and disputing that you may become blameless and harmless. You see, if the body of Christ is going to influence the world the way it should, it cannot be devouring itself through such destructive forces like murmuring and disputing. But it also is important in our relation to those in the world that they truly see us, number five, as children of God without fault. As children of God without fault. Look at verse 15. He says right here in the text, he says that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without false, without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. So as children of God without fault, which requires us to become blameless, requires us to be, become blameless. Now that doesn't mean perfect. It doesn't mean perfect but like elders are to be blameless, we're to be above reproach. We're to be, we, we may be sinners, we are sinners, but we quickly confess our sins and make amends when it is called for. We don't let the list grow. We make an end of it quickly. We need to live in a way that we have no outstanding faults that are clearly evident to other people. Nothing can hinder our ability to shine as lights like the inconsistency and hypocrisy, especially when it is evident to all people. Okay? But it also requires us to be harmless. It requires us to be harmless, not only blameless, but harmless, though we may be firmly opposed to sin in all forms. A sinner should never fear bodily harm uh, from us as Christians. Sinners should never fear bodily harm for us. Now, they may fear it from other religions. The, 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 uh, the fastest growing religion on earth is a religion that will kill for its, its belief system. It will kill for its belief system. As, as believers, our faith system, uh, the, the only one that's true, our faith system will die for what we believe. But we're not to go out killing people for what, the, we're not to harm other people 
who disagree with us. Let me give you an example. 2 Timothy. Go over to the right. 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2, 24 through 26. Look what it says. And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach patient in humility, correcting those who are in opposition, if God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth. Now I want to tell you something. That's not talking about the ability of the teacher for somebody to change their mind. Again, that's like I said earlier. I can't make you understand Scripture. I can't make you understand what you need to understand. This text clearly says that that ability comes from God. That ability comes from God. That if God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil having been taken captive by Him to do His will. And see this text wants us to do the will of God. But you see sinners, what happens to them? Even saved sinners, what happens to them? They wind up doing the will of the devil. And it is God's plan for you to will, for Him to will and to do what is His good pleasure. To motivate you to do what He gives you the ability to do. But many are carried away. Many are carried away as it says in 2 Timothy chapter 2 verses 24 through 26. And by the way, He's telling that to the pastor of that church to instruct those people. To instruct those people. Sadly, many so-called Christians appear to be using the old covenant method in their efforts to change others and come across likely to produce great bodily harm. But as Jesus said, we are to be wise as serpents and as harmless as doves. So finally, if we're really going to shine as lights in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, we must be holding fast. Number six. Number six, we need to be holding fast to the Word of life. Holding fast to the Word of life. Look with me at verse 16. Verse 16 says, Holding fast the Word of life, so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. And he's talking about in teaching them. But I want you to know something. The Philippian church was his sweetheart church. He loved that church. He, he, he loved all the churches that he pastored. But that was his sweetheart. He, that, that, that was just his sweetheart church. Uh, I, I've, had, uh, I've pastored several churches in, in 20 plus years. Uh, there's two of them. Uh, well, I love them all, but uh, there's two of them that are uh, tied for my sweetheart church. And uh, uh, um, because when I think about them, it just, you look at my face, it just makes me smile. And I can tell you the one I pastor right now is one of those churches. It just, it just, it just makes me smile. I, lo I love the Journey Church. Uh, she's, she's some sweetheart. And, uh, but there's another one that's on my mind, and, and I love her too. And I've pastored them both the same amount of time. And uh, so they just, they just I might, you're seeing a happy pastor. And uh, thankful to God, uh, but holding f and and you want to know why? By the way, both of those churches received the word of God. They received the word of God. They shined as lights. They shined as lights, and and God God taught me more pastoring them than probably I ever taught them, and I'm grateful to them. But we want to hold fast to the word of life. We want to hold fast to the Word of life. Remember the Word of God. Remember the Word of God is the sword of the Spirit. The Word of God is the sword of the Spirit. It is only an offensive weapon we have in the armor of God that's mentioned in Ephesians 6, 10-17. All the weapons that are mentioned in the armor of God are defensive, but the sword of the Spirit is offensive. It is an offensive word. That is the Word of God. It is the instrument by which the Spirit convicts the world of sin and produces repentance and brings about the new birth. It's the, listen, when Jesus was at the well and the woman came to Him and, and He didn't have anything to dip water with and He, he asked for some water and, and she drew for Him and He said, you know, if you knew who you were, you, 
if, if you knew who you were talking to, you would have wells of living water coming up from out of you because I am the living water. And, and you know what he did? He told her that she was married many times and shacked up with the man she was with currently. That's what he told her. He told her the bad news. Now, that's not popular today. You tell people they're sinners, but you, you, you know what? It, it's not popular to tell people they have cancer either. Uh, it, it's not popular to tell people they have COVID-19. If you want to start an argument, just use those words. That, that COVID-19 is just a word that triggers people and starts complaining and murmuring. The reality of it is you can't fix a problem until you know you have it. You can't fix a problem until you know you have it. And Jesus started with the woman on the well. He, he explained to her, you know, you've been married multiple times. You've got a problem with men. And now you're shacked up with another man. And you know what happened to her? She became the first evangelist we see in the Scripture. You know what the disciples were doing? They were out looking, trying to buy food. They were hungry. This woman, she was drinking from the well of living water. And she went back and she went and got all those Samaritans and they came by the thousands out there. And when the disciples showed up with their takeout lunch there, Jesus still sitting on the well, he looks and in front of that, in front of that crowd leads that woman and all of those Samaritans flowing in their white robes. And Jesus Christ says, Behold the harvest. Behold the harvest as is wide as a wheat field at harvest time, but the workers are few. And I would imagine he was pointing at that woman while those guys were sitting there eating their submarine sandwiches. Great lessons are taught during hard teachings. Now they don't all need to come that way, but sometimes the point needs to be made. It needs to be emphasized. Well, I'm going to tell you something. We need the Word of Life. James chapter 1. James chapter 1. Just go past Hebrews, James chapter 1, verse 18. Look what it says. It says right here, it says, Of His own will He brought us forth by the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of His creatures. You want to be a first fruit, you need to be in the word. We're living in a time where everybody wants to be first, but I want to be the first fruit. I want to be the first fruits of His creatures. I don't have to be first. I want to be a first fruits. And he says, He brought me forth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits. Go over here to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23. 1 Peter 1, verse 23. Look what the text says. The Bible says, Having been born again, not by corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. Go over here to Romans. Go back to the left to Romans 1, 16. Romans 1.16, look what the Bible says. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. So the gospel is for all people. The gospel is for all people. That's what the Bible says, so that settles it. And so holding fast to the word of life, we need to remember the word of God is the sword of the Spirit, but we must both hold fast and hold forth this powerful word. We need to hold fast and hold forth. Some translations say hold fast. Others' translations say hold forth. Both are called for as we should hold fast the Word in our own study and application and hold forth the Word as we proclaim it to those that we're trying to change. Can you imagine that in the course of, of uh, in, in 20 years of ministry, how much change we have seen? Um, in 1984, I became a follower of Jesus. So, I, don't, I can't do the math in my head right now, but it's almost 40 years I've been a Christian. And, um, uh, and uh, do you realize how much it's changed? I mean, there used to be week-long revival meetings. And, and I mean, ch cities were changed, and now, every, now, now there's more meetings uh, to go out bird shooting it all in the name of Jesus. Men got to, because men have to learn how to be men again. When I was a boy, men knew how to be a man. They feared God and they loved their wives. That's what they, that was a man. They raised their children, they disciplined them. That's what a man was. And he loved the Lord with all his heart. He trusted in the Lord with, it, with all his heart and he leaned not on his own understanding. In all the ways, he acknowledged him. And God made it so he didn't have multiple wives. He didn't sleep around when it, one wife was sick or he was getting divorced. They didn't do that kind of stuff. They were men of God. 
They love the Lord. And, 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 then, and that was the same for preachers. And now today you just hear left and right of preachers falling. I read a statistic the other day that I think is not very accurate. It said 1,500 churches close their door every week. I don't think that's even conceivable. Maybe they mean every month or every year. But the reason is people won't put up with good teaching. But there is a remnant. There is a remnant that will. Those that are called of God. Those that don't play church. Those that are called of God. They, they, you know what? They, they, the, the folks that I have the best relationships with a pastor or as a pastor are folks that I'm also their friend. And, uh, uh, but I was their pastor first, and it hadn't always been roses. There's sometimes been some thorns and disagreements, but it's made us stronger, kind of like a weld. You break something, you weld it together. It's stronger than it was before. Uh, but, they, but those who just come along and they quit and they move along, there's nothing there. There's, there's nothing there. But I can't do anything about that. All I can do is teach. People can either bear up under the Word or they cannot bear up under the Word. That's, that is totally a work of God in their life. All I know is my responsibility is to hold forth the Word. My, and it is to hold fast to the Word because ultimately I have to answer to God for it. And over the course of 20 years, the more complaints, more complaints than you can imagine because of that. But I'm just going to tell you, that's just the way it is. I know, who, I know my Redeemer and I know He lives. He called me. He found something in me to share. How He could use this Irish Texas man, I don't know. But I've, just, I've quit. I, all I do know is I need to be faithful. I need to let my light shine in a corrupt and perverse generation. In this we would do well to follow the example of Ezra and in others in which he applied himself, as it says in Ezra chapter 7, verse 10, he set out first to seek the law of the Lord, then to do it, and finally to teach others. There's your sermon outline right there if you want to teach a Sunday school. Ezra 7, 10, he sought to seek the Lord, to do what the Lord said in the law, and then to teach others to do it. So in conclusion in these verses... We find a way for Christians to shine as lights in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. It involves working out our own salvation with fear and trembling, by letting God work in us, doing things without murmuring and disputing, as children of God who are without fault, holding fast to the word of life. It is our ultimate objective not to just changing legislation, but the hearts of men to the ways of God, and this is how we can do it. This is how we can do it. You want to end abortion in America? You change the hearts of men and women. You change the hearts of men and women. You teach them what God says about life. You teach them what God says about sex. You teach them what God says about relationships before Him. What else do you want to legislate? You want to talk about borders? You teach people about borders. You want to talk about taxation and representation? You teach people about rendering unto Caesar what is Caesar's and rendering unto God what is God. I've got news for you. God loves the nations. God loves the nations. But the nations that love the Lord, He blesses. Because sin is a reproach to any nation, but, but the love of God brings blessing. The love of God brings blessing. And this is how we can rejoice in the day of Christ and know that our own labor is not in vain. As he says right here in verse, verse 16, that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. You need to ask yourself this question, whether you're 84 or 24. Have you labored in vain? Are you, are you, have you labored in vain? Are you, have you run in vain? Maybe, maybe you have not worked out your own salvation. Maybe you don't fear and tremble. Perhaps you don't let God work in you. You're, you, you are going about murmuring and disputing. Don't worry, people will figure it out. Uh, you, 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 uh, you're, you're not blameless. You're, children, you're a child with fault. People can watch your behavior, how you treat a waitress or a, or a waiter. Uh, how, you, how you behave at the nursing home, how, how you behave at, uh, at uh, you, you name it, the airport, getting your rights. They can tell as a, children, as a child who's blameless, 
They can tell if you hold the word fast and see, I want you to know something as I'm finished. Holding the word fast doesn't mean that you agree with the preacher about doctrinal things. Hold the word fast means that you work out your salvation with fear and trembling, letting God work in you, doing the things of God without murmuring and disputing as children who are blameless and holding fast to the word. That's when you got it. That's when you've got it. And this is how we can rejoice in Christ, that our labor is not in vain. Doing these things are not a vain thing. These are the things that will save our country. These are the things that will save our world. These are the things that will cause our light to shine in a crooked and perverse generation. And so, brothers and sisters, I want to thank you for joining me, and I hope that you will shine as lights in the world. God, I do pray in the name of Jesus Christ that you would take this Word of God with, a, with the little heat that it had with it, and you would press it deep onto our hearts through our mind that we will mature as believers through it, that, Lord, we will take this passage as it says literally and apply it right now to our life. And, God, you would be so gracious to let us see the results of such behavior, of such change, that you would let us see our light shine in the world for no other reason because you have commanded us to do it. Even if our light is little, let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. In the name of Jesus, amen. God bless you.